I want to talk today about the way, the truth, and the life. I talked a little on this on a radio program in Africa. Had a great time there. They they, they postponed the next program to listen to this. And, and uh, uh, I want to talk about the way, the truth, and the life. One of the Africans asked me a question, the Angolans. What does it mean that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life? So we can think of that religiously. What does it mean? Well, we know that Jesus is the way, he's the truth and the life. We recite that, but what did, what did that mean? And in light of that, first thing I want to do is say, what is going on in the nations right now? What is God doing? In Isaiah chapter 2, verse 2 through 3, it says, it shall come to pass in the latter days. Okay, pay attention. Because there's a lot of, when things get bad in the world, people start saying, last days, last days, last days. Well, this is what God says happens in latter days. You know, I'm in my 68th year of passage, 50 years in Christ. I'm in my latter days. Okay? I'm in my latter days. God promises that our latter days are greater than our former days. That's not true in the world, but in Christ, our latter days are greater than our former days. Okay? Everything ends in a greater glory for those who are sons and daughters in Christ. Even when we leave this world, our latter days are greater than our former days. So the reports of last days in the world is not what we should focus on. What does God say happens in the latter days? The mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on top of the mountains. You know, mountains are high places. Mountains are strongholds. Mountains are made of a lot of rocks. And there's a lot of mountains that are difficult to get over. He shall be exalted above the hills. Hills are also high places. It would be easy if everything was just flat and smooth. You know, I, I run in the morning. I like running in flat territories. Some places I run in the world have very steep hills. And you have to get over those things. Like when I run in Spain, the only good thing about a hill is on the other side it goes down. What goes up does come down. But, but you get a good cardiovascular pump when you have to go up. So there are mountains and hills. The world is filled with mountains and hills, things to get over, things that try to stop us, difficult times. But the mountain of the Lord's house is on top of the mountains. It's on top of the hills. And it says, and all nations shall flow to it. You are a mountain of God's presence. And the testimonies of God in your life are greater and greater every year. Do you believe that he began a good work in you? Then is he faithful to complete that? Okay, whatever you believe is true for your life has to be true for the world. You can't have two different standards. You can't have well, glory to glory, he changes you, but the earth is in big trouble. No, you can't have two standards. What's true in a small piece of gold is true in a big piece of gold. Now, if you're looking at what's going on in the world, then you're going to always come up with the same conclusion that you always come up with, bad news. Did you know that if you, if you look at... Uh, one time I did a little survey of every century. Just, I just went back 500 years, every century. Every century, if you look at every century, you'll get about 10 really good years in a century, 
maybe 20 moderate years and 70 years that suck. You, you do it. You just check out history, and you'll find out. See, the Civil War was a big thing in America, right? It was 800 and what, 860-some thousand people killed in the Civil War. Did you know that in Uruguay, they had a million and a half people killed in the Civil War about the same time? Okay, But we feel the pain of 800-some thousand. They had a million and a half there. You can look anywhere on the planet, and you're going to see people outside of Christ crumble. But in those same seasons and in those same times, great things happen. I finally got to see Jesus' revolution on the airplane. They had it on the airplane. I watched it, and it was, it was accurate. I remember it. <laughs> I, got, I got saved at the end of the Jesus' revolution. I remember it, and it's very true. And things like that are happening. Okay? So like in South Africa, a public school, great is your faithfulness, O Lord. Okay. So the mountain of the Lord shall be established and the nations shall flow to it. Many people shall come and say, come and let us go to the mountain of the Lord. Are you a mountain of the Lord? Or are you shaken by the mountains of the world? Come and let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. Are you a house of the God of Jacob? And he will teach us his ways. We shall walk in his paths, for out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Now, that's kind of like Charlie Brown's dog. We just read that, and what you heard was wah, 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 which is what Charlie Brown's dog heard. So let me explain that. He'll teach us his ways. His ways is what is in your heart. What do you believe? Walk in his paths. How do you act? And then the law of the Lord will go forth from Zion. Zion is your heart. The place that gets stepped on, the place that got trampled, the place that your dreams were crushed. But the law of the Lord goes from that place. Now, what's the law of the Lord? The law of the Lord is not the Torah law. The law of the Lord is L-O-V-E, love. That's the law of the Lord. In the place that got crushed, in the place that got trampled, in the place of your imagination, the imagination station, your heart, is your imagination station a place that harbors love? How do you imagine the future? Is it love that creates your future? And then... The word of the Lord from Jerusalem, the word of the Lord from the place of the vision of peace, your influence to your world happens because of what you see. If you see no gap between you and God, if you see a heavenly city of peace coming into your life, then your influence on, on your world is going to be based on that. Now, Isaiah said that. Micah the prophet said those same words. Must be pretty important. Micah the prophet said it also. So the mountain of God is rising in the earth. The mountain of God is rising in my life. Can you say it? The mountain of God is rising in my life. There's something stronger than any stronghold in the earth, the stronghold of God's love. So the mountain of God is rising in our lives. Now, what is it that causes the mountain of God to grow in our lives? 
I believe it's our response to God. Our response to God increases his presence in our lives and in our world. In Luke chapter 6, verses 47 through 49, we have some verses there that talk about the house that's built on the ground and the house that's built on the rock, right? And so the house that's built, they both heard in this story, there's two houses, but one is built on rocks. It says, whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, hears my sayings and does them, hears my words to him or her and does them, I'll show you whom he is like. We could say he or she is like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. Now, who's the rock? Jesus is the rock. Your intimate relationship with God is the rock. I only, I've only discovered one thing in this world that's unshakable. It's the greatest rock. I know it as a dad. I know it as a husband. I know it as a grandfather. I know it as a friend. It's called love. It's the only thing that can't be shaken. God never does anything for the sake of power. He does everything for the sake of love. I woke up not too long ago. I was I was at home, and I woke up about 3 in the morning, and I heard the phrase, everything happens for a purpose. I was kind of in a dream, and... I heard that phrase only to challenge it to say, hmm, really? When God began to give me a conversation that, you know, sometimes we blame the sovereignty of God. We say everything happens for a purpose. I would say everything happens for a purpose, but most things happen not for the purpose of God. But all things can be turned toward the purpose of God. You see, God, as I woke up from that, God said, my sovereignty is my gifting, but my nature is relational. I'm gifted to be sovereign, but my nature is relationship. So it's love that motivates my sovereignty, not sovereignty that motivates my love. So if I need to intervene, I will. I can. But I would rather partner then only intervene. Okay? So, responding, he's like a man building a house who dug deep, laid the foundation on the rock, and when the flood arose and the stream beat vehemently against that house, it could not shake it, for it was founded on the rock. He who heard and did nothing is like the man who built his house on the earth without a foundation, which that same stream beat vehemently and immediately it fell. In this story, I think the greater thing is your connection to the rock. It's not your house. It's your connection to the rock. Your connection to the rock makes you the substance of the rock. The mountain of God is made of the rock. The mountain of God is made of the rock of love. And it will be exalted above all the mountains of the earth. The rock of God is a rock of love. And it'll be higher than all the hills in your life. 
So responding to the voice of God is responding to the sound of his voice. Now, what does God's voice sound like? God's voice is always faith. It's always hope. It's always love. Okay? So you're going to have a week this week. You've got seven days, 24 hours a day to listen to the sound of the mountain. And the sound of the mountain of God is a sound of faith, hope, and love. Let me give you three other things that are synonymous with that. God is great. God is good. And his mercy endures forever. All through the Psalms, when they sang worship, always saying something like, God is great. God is good. Oh, his mercy endures forever. God is great. God is good. And his mercy endures forever. God is great. God is good. And his mercy endures forever. God is great. God is good. And his mercy endures forever. That's the sound of God in the nations. God is great. God is good, and his mercy endures forever. God is great. God is good, and his mercy endures forever. Every other sound is a lie. The mountain of God is rising in the earth, and it's a sound of faith, because God is great. The opposite of faith is what? Natural sight. What does it look like? What does it sound like? What do you think it looks like? What do you think it sounds like? What does it feel like? What do you think it feels like? What can you see? What can't you see? That's the opposite of faith. And faith is a testimony of God is great. God is good. And his mercy endures forever. On your worst day, God is great. God is good. And his mercy endures forever. On your best day, God is great, God is good, and his mercy endures forever. That's the sound of God. That sound will build the mountain of God in your life. The sound of God draws us to be loved by him. The sound of God draws us to love him. The sound of God draws us to love one another. Any other sound is a lie. The sound of God draws us to the place of love. It's a sound of mercy and grace. Now, in this place of relationship with God is where we find our identity, our testimony, and our purpose. We've heard a lot by Holy Spirit about identity. God is speaking in the nations about identity. In the world, it seems like there's an identity crisis, but the reality is there's an identity wake-up. There's not an identity crisis. God has things well in hand. He's shaking up everything that's not a true identity to make sure people don't know what to hang on to, and they'll grab for what is true. You see, the devil never causes anything to shake. When you see nations shaking, it's because the unshakable mountain is increasing. 
The devil doesn't shake anything. He shakes. <laughs> when the unshakable one walks into the room, things shake. So our identity, our testimony, and our purpose is found in him. Now, when we talk about identity, we talk about testimony, we talk about purpose. I believe there's three dimensions to that. I believe that when God speaks, we can see it, we can hear it, we experience it. Even before, when, when Ezekiel describes the, the Prince of Tyre, which I believe was the star of the morning, which we call sometimes the Latin refers to him as Lucifer, the fallen one from heaven. When it describes him, this beautiful creature, this created being in heaven, he was a covering cherub. I believe he was a covering cherub of the word. I believe that, that just like there's a messenger for God, Michael, there's a messenger for Holy Spirit, Gabriel. I believe there was a covering cherub, a star of the morning for the word of God. And so this creature, this created being, had precious stones. He was, he was precious stones, which meant he, he reflected, he refracted light. If he was covering the word of God, when you looked at him, it was so bright you probably couldn't hardly handle it because he just ref refracted and reflected the light of God, the word. He was also pipes. He didn't have pipes. He was pipes. He was sound. And he amplified. He amplified the word of God. His very being amplified the light and the word of God. But then he also was timbrels. He didn't have timbrels. He was timbrels. So he amplified the rhythm, the dance, the experience of the word. You see, the word is something you can see, you can hear, and you can experience. Now, he didn't like himself because he got jealous. It says he looked, he saw the stars, which I believe are you and me, which we are not reflections or refractions of light. We are sons and daughters of a father who is light. Therefore, we are lights. And we've been given the responsibility of ruling in the darkness, even as our heavenly father rules in the day. We've been given the responsibility of being in a dark world, but shining as stars in the night so that people can find their way to the light. Okay? Now, we are a greater testimony than that creature who didn't like himself. He traded his identity, his testimony, and his purpose for a lie. It says he became a profane thing. I believe he became a devil. He became Satan. He became a lie. He became the father of lies. Now, I believe that the plot and the plan of our enemy is to try to destroy our identity, our testimony, and our purpose. But God loved us so much that he sent his only begotten son. 
the Word became flesh. In heaven, He was the eternal Word, but one day He became Jesus. God saves. He moved into the neighborhood as flesh and blood, born of a woman, born of God. He looked like any other person that you would see in the neighborhood, but it didn't take long before you noticed something about that man. He looked different, he sounded different, and there was a different experience. As he grew in favor and stature, in wisdom, in favor with God and man, as he grew in, in his relationship as the, as the son of God, the son of man, he manifested what he came to manifest in all of us. You see, God didn't have a problem in his world. Jesus even said, you can pray like this, guys. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So meaning as it is in heaven, heaven didn't have a problem. God didn't have a problem in his world. He didn't come to fix his world. He came to fix your world. He came to fix my world. He came to redeem the mandate. He came to restore your ability, my ability to be fruitful, multiply, fill, subdue, and have dominion. Let me give you five words for that. Life, 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 life. He came so that we would be fruitful. That's life. He came so that we would be multiplied. We would give life to life and that we would fill. There would be life and life and life. And we would subdue, which means to destroy death with life and have dominion, which means crumble every lie, everything that's not life with life. So he came to restore our world. Okay. And he did it as a man. He did it for us. In John chapter 14, Jesus is going to, at the end of his life, and he's speaking to his friends. Now, when you read your Bibles, you have to understand the Bible is not a book written so that you will know what to do or how to act. You can find things in there that are true to the principles, patterns, and values of God of what you should do and how you should act. But the book is not written for that purpose. It's not a how-to book. It's a witness to the voice of the one who changes you and changes me from the inside out. It's a story of real people. That's a story of God who is good intervening with people who are confused. But God didn't stop. He's still the author. He's still writing. But he's not writing on parchment. He's not writing on stone. He's writing on hearts. He's writing on minds. The greater story is what we become, not the story that we merely find in our Bibles, although the Bible is true in its entirety. Okay? It's filled with statements of truth and truly stated statements, and when they're all put together in a story, it reveals the love of God, the need of man, the intervention of God, God's abilities, his love. But you have to pay attention when you're reading your Bible 
to the story at the time, I always say ask three questions whenever you're reading your Bible. One is, what did it mean at the time that it was spoken? Not so, so there's no pronoun in the Bible that's you. When it says, I say to you, he's not talking to you. He's talking to a you at that time. Okay? And he said to them, that's not the them in this room. However, he's still God, so he will say something to you. But the Bible, when you're reading pronouns, it's not to you. It's to somebody, so we need to pay attention to who is he talking to so that then we can hear him now and have a foundation for what that could mean today. Because what it meant yesterday sets a foundation for what it could mean today. But if we don't ask that question, then we just say, oh, it was for me, the smart person in the future. Because we all tend to think we're the smart people in the future, right? <laughs> Eric says he is. I don't know about anybody else. But so, so you ask, what did it mean at the time? Then you ask, what does it mean in the language of God? God's not limited in his language, but we're limited in our hearing. So God repeats things over and over again in many ways. And then what does it mean? How does it apply in my life? So in this story, in John 14, Jesus is talking to his disciples. He begins in verse 1. He says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. He's talking to his friends. He's talking to his disciples. Their hearts are troubled. Why? Their friend Jesus is about to disappear. They're not sure what's going to happen. He's kind of said some things that allude to that. Their hearts are concerned. So he says, don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, my 12 friends, I go to prepare a place for you, my 12 friends. Now, we can apply it to us, but the you here is his 12 friends. Or shall we say the 12 that he's a friend to? Since it appears that one of them, well, several of them weren't quite friends yet. I guess all 12 weren't quite friends yet. <laughs> he says, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. Where I go, you know, and the way you know. Okay, Thomas, he says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Okay, now, we can religify that. That's a made-up word, but it works. We can make that religious and say, yes, you know, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. I'm going to explain that in a moment. And he is. No one comes to the Father except through him. Uh, however you get to the Father, Jesus is the one that made that possible. Only through Jesus is it possible. Okay? If you had known me, you would have known the Father also. And from now on, you know him. And have seen him. He's talking to his disciples. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, 
It's sufficient for us. Good enough. Just show us the Father. Jesus says to him, Philip, have I, have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I'm in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak of my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Now, if you read the rest of this chapter and chapter 15 all the way through chapter 17, you'll really get the gist of what is going on here. You see, Jesus, we can apply this to when you die and you go to heaven, there's a place prepared for you, okay? We're okay with that. But I don't believe that that's what Jesus is entirely talking about here. He's talking to some old covenant people, and he's a new covenant man. There's only one new covenant human being on planet Earth when Jesus was alive. Matter of fact, there's only one human being. There's a bunch of human wannabes. There's several human doo-doos. But there's only one human being on planet Earth. Because to be a human being, you have to be a being, spirit, soul, and body. If you're a human being, when we see you, we see your Father. But if you get your connection from something other than your heavenly Father, then you're a perversion. You're no longer the truth. And Jesus is saying to them, I'm going to prepare a place for you so that where I am, you can be also. After Jesus died, rose from the dead, walked into the room, said, peace, breathed on them, and said, receive Holy Spirit, ascended into heaven, poured out his Spirit upon them, their world changed forever. They knew Jesus in a greater way after his death than they did before his death. Because before his death, the only mansion of God on planet Earth was Jesus Christ. After Jesus rose from the dead, he made many mansions possible, many spacious places, many identities, so that greater things you can do than he did because the mansions of the Lord, the spacious places, the growing mountain of God can fill the earth. Okay, yeah, when I go to heaven, there's a place for me. I'm good with that because whatever's true in the smallest measure is true in the greatest measure. But then I have to say whatever's true in the greatest measure is also true in the smallest measure. So every one of us was made to be a spacious place of God's manifest presence, a mansion in your father's house. We all like different things, and God likes us. We all meet God in different spaces, and God likes all of our spaces. And God wants to fill every space with his manifest presence. So Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. Okay? He is, okay? But he's speaking to his disciples. So how would the disciples understand that? 
See, when you saw Jesus, you saw the way. The first believers, after Jesus ascended into heaven, the Holy Spirit was poured out on the church, and the church began to grow, and people said, well, what is this? What is this? They said, uh, it's the way. This is the way. This is the way. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, but because he is the way, the truth, and the life, my life should increasingly be something you can see is the way. Okay, now, let me explain it to you this way. In Jeremiah chapter 17, verses 5 through 8, it talks about two things. One is a bush. It says, those who do not trust in God are like a bush. They dry up, wind comes, blows them away, like a tumbleweed. But he also says, those who trust in God are like a tree planted by the river. Now, this is a wonderful time of the year. When I left 24 days ago, you know, a little more than that now, but when I left a month ago, it was winter here. Okay? And, and I had trees that were no leaves on the trees. Yeah. Picture a tree. I have apple trees. I have pear trees. You pick a tree. In the wintertime, you see the tree. You see its trunk. You see its limbs. You see its branches. You got a tree in your mind? That tree is you. That's your body. The world is filled with trees. Trunk, limbs, branches. But the tree looks like it's dead. It has no leaves, has no fruit. It's just a tree. Now, if we take that tree and we cut that tree down, we cut its trunk or we cut its limbs or we cut its branches, we can see rings inside the tree. Now, the rings are the soul of the tree. Your soul is not your mind. Your brain is a biological instrument that serves your soul, but your soul is the core of your being. And your soul can be affected by things internally or things externally. But if you're not filled internally, then your soul is affected externally. If you cut a tree down, you can look at the rings and you can say, oh, my goodness, that was, must have been some wet years. Look at how wide those rings are. You went through some floods. Oh, my. Several years of drought. That must have been hard. Oh, my goodness. Was that a car that crashed into your trunk? That must have hurt. Oh, oh my. That looks like forest fire of some kind. Oh, I'm sorry. That, that must have been a bad experience. You see, your soul is affected by things that come against your trunk or your limbs or your branches. So your internal rings are affected. Okay, But there's really good news for the tree because the tree has a third dimension to it. It's not just what you see or what's in the center core. It's that tree's roots are connected to the environment of life for the tree. Okay, So the roots of the tree 
go down into the water. And there's a substance in the tree called the sap. I thought my fig tree was dead when I left. I had my wife, I said, honey, is the tree awake? She said, honey, I'm, not, I'm a little concerned about the tree. Haven't seen any leaves yet. Haven't seen any leaves yet. A little concerned about the fig tree. It's the late spring. And you know what? Last week, right before I got home, fig tree woke up. It's, it keeps waking up. It found its sap. You see, the sap is the spirit of the tree. And the spirit of the tree fills all of the trunk, fills all the branches, fills all the limbs, all the limbs, all the branches, until it pops out leaves and it pops out fruit. My little pear, my pears have little pears all over them. My apples have little apples all over them now because there's fruit coming out. You see, the purpose of your life is fruit. Leaves, fruit, okay? So the human being is like the tree. The source of the tree, the purpose of the tree is fruit and leaves, but you can't do that with your trunk and your limbs and your branches. You can't do that with your soul. Your soul has bruises. Your soul's experienced floods, experienced drought, it's experienced wounds. The marks are in the annual rings every year. There are marks in the soul of the tree. So what is it that causes the soul of the tree to overcome and bear fruit even in its old age? It's the spirit of the tree. Jesus came to redeem the spirit of your tree. In my Father's house, there are many spacious places, many fruitful places, many testimonies in the family of God. And the secret is the way of the tree. So what do you see? You see what's in the tree. Are you living by the sap? Jesus was connected to the sap. You saw Jesus. You, he says, you, you've been with me. You saw, you saw me. You saw who? You saw the Father. Oh, Holy Spirit, come on. Thank you, thank you, thank you that you are in our lives so that when people see us, they see the testimony of our Father. You did this, Jesus. Okay, then what did you hear? When you saw Jesus, when Jesus walked into the room, what did you hear? Did you hear a lie? You heard the truth. And what did the truth do? Yeah, it did more than set you free, made you free. Made you free. Okay, the truth makes you free. You see, you make a great you and a terrible somebody else. He came so that the spirit of the tree would cause the soul of the tree to be real. Jesus is the great I am so that you and I can be little I am's in the family tree of the great I am. See, we're part of the body of Christ, not the body of self. Spirit, soul, body. What did you experience when Jesus walked into the room? 
life. Did you want to dance? I think so. I think sinners like to be around Jesus. Not because he was justifying their sin, but because they felt better when they were around him than when they weren't around him. You see, when they weren't around him, they were disconnected. That's called sin. And it leads to death. But when they were around him, they wanted to be connected. So much so, even a thief on the cross <laughs> said to his friend, shut up, we deserve this. He doesn't. Jesus, will you remember me? Ha, that got the way, the truth, and the life inspired enough to say, today you'll be with me in paradise. Okay, so the mountain of the Lord is growing in my life. The latter days of this house will be greater than the former days of this house. The latter days, let me tell you what will come upon you in the latter days. The latter glory of the temple is greater than the former glory of the temple. He who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it. Holy Spirit, would you bring us back to the simplicity of the good news of Jesus? that you reconnected us to the Spirit of God. While we were still sinners, you reconciled us so that we could find our roots in the place where our roots should be, and we can know that God is our Father. He's the Father of lights, and our spirit is alive. We were born again. Our spirit is alive, and our soul is being saved. Our thoughts, our reasoning, our emotions, our imagination, our desires are being made new. People can see it. People can hear it. People can experience it. I'm going to close by saying this. Huh. On the day of Pentecost, 50 days after Jesus finished Passover, justified us to live. He poured out his spirit on all. He poured out his spirit on some flesh as a testimony that he's pouring his spirit out on all flesh. Do we have any more of the all flesh here today? Okay. He poured his spirit out on some flesh as a testimony that he's poured out his spirit on all flesh. All flesh weren't there on the day of Pentecost. Some flesh were. Because he was pouring out his spirit on all flesh. Okay? So that was the beginning. That was not the ending. That was the beginning. Some flesh, because he's poured out his spirit on all flesh. Okay? Are there some flesh here today? <laughs> that are more of the all flesh here today? Okay, so he pours out his spirit on all flesh, and then it has to be explained. It gets a little crazy because the sap gets in the tree. The sap gets in the tree. Oh, shaka, roka barama. Jesus, you're awesome. This is the day for the goodness of God is breaking out. 
Chains are breaking. Shackles are being broken. The restoration of all things is at hand. For the glory of God is shining brightly, and there will be no end to the increase of his goodness. Or the greatness, the goodness, and the love of God will prevail. His name shall not fail. He shall be King of kings and Lord of lords in the nations and in all the lands. For the hearts of men and women shall be opened, and they shall understand something like that happened when the sap got in the tree. <laughs> and some people thought they were crazy. Woo! They thought they were crazy because they were too busy looking at dead trees. But the sap got in the tree. Peter explains the sap. He said, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your men servants and your maid servants shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall have visions. And, the, and he's talking about in the face of the great and terrible day of the Lord, where sun turns black, moon turns to blood. By the way, my son went black 50 years ago. My natural light went out 50 years ago. I found the light of Christ. The life of the flesh, my ability to live by the life of the flesh, that went out of me 50 years ago when I found the life of the Spirit. The end of natural kingdoms comes because of a kingdom that knows no end. And my kingdom 50 years ago became an increasing kingdom of my Lord in Christ. See, The sap got in the tree. Okay, now, Joel did not say in the last days. He said afterwards. So why did Peter say in the last days? Because he's telling them, this is your last day. So that afterwards, he can pour out his spirit on you. Lose your life, you save it. Lay it down, you find it. So when the sap gets in the tree, the sap can only get in the tree when you quit letting your life be attached to external things. But you know what? It's prophetic. God speaks. Life happens. And you can see it. You can hear it. And you can experience it. So, Holy Spirit, would you help us this week to be trees with the sap in us? Would you help us so that when people see us, they see the way? Because, Jesus, you are the way. You showed us as a man. To be connected to Holy Spirit makes our spirit holy. And our Holy Spirit fills our soul. Up the trunk, out the limbs, out the branches, and it pops forth fruit. And fruit is what we give life to our world. We become real in who we are, and we bring life to our world. We make our world dance. We make our world dance. 
So Jesus, help us this week that we'll be prophetic. What do people see? What do people hear? And what do they experience when we walk into the room? Yeah? So keep your roots in the Holy Spirit and get your sap on. <laughs> because it's time for leaves. It's time for fruit. By the way, my trees, while I was gone, I didn't put a video out there before the fig tree, a video on figs. I didn't get a book on figs and put it out in front of the tree. I didn't get the Bible of figs. No, the fig tree got connected. Now you can read about it, but the fig tree is it. Okay. Creation, did you know that human beings are the only created being that thinks they need information? Prove me wrong. Show me. You don't need information. You need connection. You need transformation. And when the season says it's time to get your sap on, get your sap on. <laughs> and be a human being, spirit, soul, and body. It's not based on information. It's based on connection. 